Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show in which we discuss fashion, technology, and luxury with the people making change happen. My name is Shereen Patek and I'm the managing editor of Glossy. This week's guest, Denise Anza, a longtime veteran of retail who was most recently Senior Vice President of Strategic Marketing at Saks Fifth Avenue and who really grew up in customer insights, as she likes to call it. And today she um, now consults with both brands and agencies on figuring out this crazy wide world of retail. So we're very excited to have you, Denise. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Very excited to be here. Um, I'm curious about uh, what sort of has changed a lot when it comes to retail and customer insights and CRM and all these things that people like to say they know, but really don't seem to know. What's what's been the biggest change you've seen in the last few years in this space? I think the importance of it has changed very, very dramatically. Retail, especially luxury retail, did not grow up being customer centric. Retail and fashion, especially fashion luxury, leads the customer and always did and to some extent always will. However, the customer has advanced so rapidly driven by uh, the world of digital technology. Mm -hmm. Everything is accessible right now. She can find out new trends right away. She can access uh, fashion and product almost seamlessly wherever she is via her phone or any kind of mobile device. And that has really changed it. Um, She has unprecedented access to information and product, and it's very important for retailers to know their customers better so that they can form a really authentic connection Mm -hmm. and make her go there rather than someone else. So why do you choose to purchase Prada at Saks Fifth Avenue versus Bergdorf or anywhere else? Well, you said earlier sort of that, you know, the beginning of that answer, you were talking about how the the retail, the luxury fashion didn't really grow up with the customer in mind. What does that mean? I think there was always individual customers and people that would be uh, drawn to high fashion. However, that industry was product-led. It was merchant-led. Those are the people who rose through the ranks. That was what made fashion fashion. It's still all about the product. Mm -hmm. However, product really isn't enough anymore because product has become so accessible. The role of marketing was largely, not that many years ago, largely executional. So So you mean PR? Um, It was somewhat PR, but it was also place this ad in this magazine. Okay. (laughs) Place, you know, send this postcard out. You weren't really creating demand or creating that sort of brand identity in that way. There wasn't the strategy around what the brand means to the customer, Mm -hmm. um, what the different customer segments were like. You didn't have a lot of segmentation, Mm -hmm. really, until the digital, the data started coming in so rapidly, and you were able to leverage that and get that depth of insight into the customer. And then the importance of being able to get that across channels really rose to understand how customers are truly purchasing why she's purchasing and why she's making a decision for one versus the other. And that really led to the importance of marketing and marketing strategy Mm -hmm. from who are we targeting? Why is she coming to our brand? How are we getting that message across in so many different 
customer touch points, yeah. be it online, be it in a print. But that was true, I mean, across industries. I mean, you worked in the packaged goods world. Um, this, I mean, not having the right data or not having that was just a, a function of the time we lived in back then. To some extent, but it mm-hmm. was far, the access to information was far greater in other industries. Mm-hmm. And also the role of marketing. Because if you are a brand-driven company um, and it's and your product doesn't change as quickly, well, which is the nature of fashion, your product is always changing, but your brand is the same, so you're always representing elements of those brands. Mm-hmm. Uh, consumer packaged goods is marketing-led. It's a marketing-led organization. It is all about the positioning, the strategy, the execution against that strategy. Within retail, it was much more about what is the right product, how are we getting that in the stores, and then telling people about it and how we were telling people and how we were differentiating mm-hmm. the different messages to the different customers um, was not what it's become in the past few years. Um, you mentioned earlier sort of marketing was, you know, mostly execution led. Um, and I did, I, I did interject to say PR because I think, it, I think for a lot of people still, you know, fashion marketing is essentially fashion PR because you've already got the beautiful product. You've, mm-hmm. You don't have to do much other than make sure it gets into the right hands who can maybe then review it or maybe make sure it gets to the right buyers who will then like it. Have fashion companies sort of really understood the value of, you know, intelligent marketing um, as much as you'd expect? I think they're starting to. I mean, the importance of PR is and always will be there. You know, the events are critical, being in the right placement and all of those things are critical. But those Um, And it's not only marketing, but it's the customer experience strategy. So how are you servicing the customers in the stores, online, anywhere, um, in a way that really is connecting with her? So I think it is beyond marketing, and you hear a lot about customer experience roles, chief customer experience officer. All of those things are evolving because we're realizing it's not, everything is not so siloed. So marketing is, is about how you're communicating to the store, how you're communicating to the store associates. Your store associates are your frontline brand ambassadors. Right. They are your, your marketing in your overall customer experience to a large extent, of, of course. How does that play out in real life? And what, if, what was that like at Saks? I think there's a big culture change, um, especially as the you know, e-commerce business started to grow very, very rapidly. It um, was growing important to the business. But it had been set up, as in many retailers, as a separate business unit. Mm-hmm. So you had dedicated marketing insights product people on that team. Um, And it was similar to what we saw at other retailers as well. And then you need to be able to integrate that so you can get the information on the customer into the hands of the right people. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have it on online, you have it naturally, and you get customized emails based on your product preferences. You may get customized home pages based on your product preferences. You certainly get recommendations. Associates, store associates, for those people they know, can be able to do that, but they're not armed or were not armed with all of the information available mm-hmm. um, from your entire purchase history or browse history online. Um, and retailers started to really put some of that information in the hands of associates, but also needed to make so- associates comfortable mm-hmm. with realizing how the customer had changed and how, for, from her perspective, digital was seamlessly integrated into her life within the past few years. She's shopping with her smartphone. Mm-hmm. She's looking things up. She's probably researched things before she's come into the store. 
Um, she is shopping online, even luxury customers. It took a lot of <laughs> convincing to say. Well, that, wasn't yeah. there this whole th- there was this whole idea that oh, this is never going to happen. Nobody's ever buying this stuff online. Oh, no, and that's why it was set up as a separate business unit. People were testing it. No one was sure if this whole internet thing, especially for luxury, was going to work. People just mm-hmm. wouldn't. It was so against the the art of it. So against the beliefs at the time and you can clearly see that everyone has realized how that much the world did that drive you crazy <laughs> there was you know I brought I always said I brought um, science to balance the art and it will always be a balance of art and science um, and then to a large extent will always be art led uh, but getting people comfortable with the science aspect was really important like this is showing people what people what customers are really doing and also making the changes to to, so that pe- associates and other people could feel it in their lives. Because you can educate and you can show information and you can show customers talking in videos. You can do all those things. You know, I think every retail in the world would say, customers who shop both channels spend four or five times blah, as much. So our associates are saying, yeah, okay, so what? Right. <laughs> They're not, it's not that they don't care. What is in it for them and how is it helping them do their well, job they, they and understand enhance our customer experience? Theoretically, but there is no... But there, I think the internalization mm-hmm. of that belief was hard to come by. Uh, and I really only started to see it take root in the past few years. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think companies realized that they needed to make changes to kind of walk the talk. You can't just say that and not have your incentive structure. Mm. Rewar- for store associates. For store associates. Reward against it. Yeah. You know, how are you? And then being able to learn by peers and best practices. You always have a few people who are earlier digital adopters mm-hmm. and store associates are no different. Some of them were using it and some were a little more reluctant and, to, and you would, they would perceive online as a competition because it was to some extent perceived literally money out of their pocket in a commission-based culture. Mm-hmm. But you, you know, education that, well, she's not going to your online <laughs> website, she's going somewhere else. So a lot was getting people comfortable that that was the behavior and then making the changes to say, okay, how can you use, especially for smaller stores that may not have the full matrix, how can you use the website, which always has um, generally a greater product assortment, how can you use that as additional selling to service your client, to increase your sales, to fully wardrobe her? Mm -hmm. Um, And then that becomes the benefit as people become more comfortable how much of that was also just, I mean, customers starting to come in and, you know, showing people things they saw on Instagram and saying, this is what I want to look like. I mean, personal shopping is sort of, I mean, Instagram changed the game when it came to personal shopping too, because suddenly your inspiration wasn't, you know, the page of L you tore mm-hmm. out, you were looking at things on social. Did that sort of affect the associates in any way? Um, was that sort of part of the impetus there? I think people are, you know, when they start to see it in their customers, they're coming in, you know, maybe with a lookbook, maybe with something from Instagram, maybe with something from Pinterest or, or other places. But then also as Saks and other places started to up their game on social media and be able to leverage those <clears throat> those er- those places to, yeah. to highlight and to have customers highlight. Because we all know that it's got to be user-generated to really build the authenticity in that channel mm-hmm. um, and being able to, you know, put knowing that shoes work on Tumblr and highlight yours and tag us, people, that getting the word out and that coming back to associates as well, I think changes it. Right. But some of the things, one of the major things that Zach was able to do, and it's been, and there's been articles written on it in the, in the past few months or so, is they partnered with a company called Salesfloor and allowed associates to curate their own website. 
So you really bring the best of that retail store experience because mm-hmm. there are elements of a store experience that people still crave. And if you build that associate relationship, someone who knows you and knows what you want and helps push your comfort zone and makes you look and feel better than you thought you would, that's that's what people love about shopping with the right associate. Mm-hmm. But my right associate, may, maybe she's not even in New York. Maybe she's somewhere else because I happened to meet her when I was traveling to Chicago. Or... Um, you know, she's not in my couch at midnight when I really need something yeah. in my mind because I really need it right then. Right. Uh, and it allows associates to curate their own website so I can go on and see Denise's pics because I know that I follow her. Right. Um, so you've basically right. turned the associates in some level into influencers on the, in their own yes, right. Yes, because it, we've been able to expand their role as influencers mm-hmm. because I think the associates always were influencers. Not necessarily in the social media sense, but we've been able to allow them to really expand them. We've seen it's increased customer loyalty, it's increased customer purchasing, right. and, and the associates are, they feel integrated with the digital experience. Mm-hmm. Well, we've brought up influencers, so it's inevitable that we mm-hmm. have to talk about sort of what's happening right now in the bloggers, influencers versus the fashion media space. Um, I mean, I thought it was really interesting that obviously you have, you know, you have fashion media who for years sort of there have been comments directed at sort of how influencers have affected them um but it's really sort of come up again now with um with the latest vogue controversy or scandal or bloggers gate as i like to call <laughs> it um but but i also found it interesting that you know from the retail aspect you had neiman marcus's ceo saying that you know bloggers and influencers changed the game for them too because she sort of basically said that poor sales um, were because of influencers who'd been, they'd already seen all the things so they were putting them out on social media when they weren't even available. So they kind of ruined or upended this entire idea of waiting for something, the sort of, uh, the idea that fashion is something you wait for, it comes up and you create the demand and build that intensity up over time. But with influencers, suddenly you've already got that on Instagram for, you know, for months before even the product comes out. How much have influencers and bloggers kind of affected the the actual businesses of these retailers? I think they are a piece of the new world that we are all living in. I don't think it's necessarily just the bloggers or influencers per se. There is a medium for them. There is demand for them. And you see retail uh, brands doing it as well. You know, Burberry made their runway shoppable. Mm-hmm. Um, Neiman Marcus now has that on their website. Mm-hmm. There is a culture of immediacy that has happened um, luxury was a little slower to it, but things like Amazon, things like other... Uh, well, they were pushed to make this happen because of what was happening in the wider world around them. And I think luxury had to change. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it had to evolve with the customer, with the technology, and really begin to to integrate those elements. And yes, there's a huge thing with influencers with product being out there sooner, but that's what people want. They want to see it now, buy it now, use it now, wear it now. And it's kind of ridiculous because the the, the retailers also wanted that. They wanted to work with the influencers and harness their mm-hmm. crazy followings. Of course. But it's similar. The influencers have a lot of power, just like the customer has more power than she used to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not all... People are... It is just not just what the brands and the retailers tell people anymore. And that's a big shift. Yeah. It's been happening for a long time, but I think... When it gets to the point that you really realize the balance of power has shifted, how do you then adapt your industry um, and adapt the way that you work to be able to meet those needs? Some are more challenging than others. Look, the the supply chain is a real challenge. Mm -hmm. Um, The infrastructure, the technology that enables these things that these seamless customer experience that everyone is talking about 
they're no joke. It's, it's, it's hard stuff. It takes time. It takes investment. It needs to be done. It doesn't, it's not always done quickly. Um, but I think it's just a sense of this is a whole new world we're living in. And there's an evolution that has to happen. Where do you think all of this is going to shake out? I mean, what needs to happen for sort of this? Because the tension exists still. And it's, you know, you're you're saying it as this thing that's just should be accepted. But a lot of people just won't accept that this is sort of the new world we live in, to use your words. I think things will, ba- things will balance out to um, what that new sense is. Mm-hmm. And it happened with a, when, you know, the... F- internet first came to be, (laughs) there was this whole, you know, how are both of those going to coexist? How are stores and online going to coexist? What is going to be the role? What are people going to buy? That's all, to some extent, balancing out. People are still working towards it. Uh, You know, we think of how, what the relationship is between influencers and brands and retailers. Mm -hmm. I think there are things that need to settle, things that, that will shake out. And a lot of times the customer will end up making the decision. They vote with their likes and views. They vote with their dollars at Mm -hmm. the end of the day. And, you know, accepting it at some point, there will be, you're not going to reverse this change. Right. Uh, do you think that, um, you know, what, one thing that often I think happens in, um, you know, you mentioned sort of stores and how, how to integrate online experiences. I mean, so many times it's just ended up being, oh, you equip people with an iPad and you hope for the best. Um, how has that integration of online and store experiences gone, in your opinion? Mixed. Um, I think the key is when you do it right, it's how do you bring the best of both worlds to enhance a customer experience? Because at the end of the day, that's what it's about. And technology for technology's sake, without the changing the, the changes in culture, so you can give someone an iPad, but if they're not comfortable with it and they're not going to use it, it's not going to do any good. Um, that's kind of even be- honestly below table stakes at this point. <laughs> Uh, but there are some people those are like foosball tables inside <laughs> offices like table stakes come on <laughs> we all expect foosball tables at this point you should abs- you know people expect to be able to see and interact digitally to some extent um, if if I can't get it in store how are you getting it to me like I can go on my smartphone but wow that's you know there's a self-service experience but right. what are you bringing to it it is not just equipping iPhones and it's not just putting social media feeds in a certain floor mm-hmm. because it's cool and snazzy and the newest shiny new thing. Um, it's really about how is technology enhancing the, the customer's life. When you give information to associates and they can access it and I know what you browsed and bought online and I can help you complete a look, that's key. I think what Barney's is doing with iBeacons is really smart because again, you it's the um, f- kind of full circle of remarketing. Right? We all know you browse shoes online and that web follows you throughout your web experience. Now it follows you into your social media. Well, now it follows you into store. Hey, <laughs> and that's, one could argue, a little more actionable. It's um, a little bit more useful it's is right, what it right. is. It's not just when I'm on Facebook for something else or checking out the debate right. results on Twitter. It's the fact that now I'm actually, hey, you looked at these shoes. You know what? They're right next door to you. They're right on the other side of the aisle. Go check them out. I think those things are really um, smart in- integrations of, of digital and technology in store. Um, some of the others are around anything that helps in the fitting room. Right. Um, you see it in Rebecca Minkoff. You see it in Ralph Lauren. And that, I still think, is a huge opportunity because that is one distinction point in a store. Um, nobody wants to try on clothes. Most, most people don't. Mm-hmm. And once you get over that barrier, you know, there's data up the wazoo mm-hmm. on 
how much more likely you are to buy, mm-hmm. especially with the right customer uh, service experience. But you're in there. You don't want to yell for someone. You're undressed. You're t- you know, you want someone to be able to work in your practice. And that kind of self-service aspect or letting people know what you need, being able to have the room set for you, which is, as you were mentioning mm-hmm. before, that personal shopping. But people are intimidated by personal shoppers. If I have to go and talk to you, mm-hmm. usually they get over it. But it, that can be an intimidating experience. The online is much more natural for us, right? We order everything online. So I think the more that things are enhancing that at that piece of the brick and mortar shopping experience, the better it is. Yeah. Do you think that, but at the same time, I mean, you know, I use this example a lot, but you know, so many times I've bought things online at, at nice expensive places just to find that the the UX is beautiful and the clicking is beautiful and and all of that stuff is great. But when it comes down to basics, it's not happening. Either fulfillment doesn't work out or they still don't have one click shopping or they don't have free delivery. Do you, how much of it is just sort of a lot of retailers and marketers too, to be fair, but mostly retailers seem to be chasing after supposedly sexy technology like VR and chatbots where they don't just seem, don't seem to have the basics figured out. I, I have to agree there. Um, the sexy stuff sometimes gets is it's the the latest new thing, but you need the foundation. You need for shipping, you need for returns. You need expedited um, delivery as much as possible. You do see stores such as Saks and others saying same day delivery in Manhattan, um, say de- same day delivery in certain areas because that is that expectation. But I need to be able to buy it easily. The checkout experience should be as simple as possible. And so why does this happen? Why why the push to the sexy stuff and not the basics. I think sometimes, you know, through sometimes through partnerships and things, it's it's perceived as easier. It's perceived as more newsworthy or exciting and buzzy. You buzzy. You think exciting to the customer. Um, you want retail excitement in store. You want excitement online. You want beautiful product. You want to get that um, initial engagement. It's also more visible. I mean, I'm not going to see it if you implement. I don't know, some great checkout thing right. online. Uh, but I am going to see it if you slap a goggle on my face and make me look at you through virtual sure. reality. At the end of the day, and you see a more immediate result okay. from the things that are more buzzworthy. You know, you hear about it, you read about it, and people may start to react, and you may even see more more clicks. More. The others are sometimes harder to detect and also sometimes harder to change. You know, when you have your infrastructure for a website and checkout and payment, those things are complex, mm-hmm. and you want them... Uh, you know, you want them to be simple. It's also going to take longer to get your return on investment from something like that. How much does the internal structure then, I mean, affect this? Because so many times we, we talk about, um, we often talk about at, uh, at Glossy about exec level FOMO. You know, a lot of it comes down to just fear of missing out. And you don't want to miss the boat on the next cool thing that's being written about in TechCrunch. And um, so you go for that. But a lot of it seems to come down to internal problems, really. You know, you don't have a decision maker who's making those decisions at the right space. I think you have decision makers that are faced with a lot of decisions and have to really plan really plan out what, what is going to drive the business forward. And some of these investments take a long time. Mm-hmm. Big changes in technical infrastructure take a long time. And there's always prioritizing and reprioritizing. Really, not the sexiest stuff in the world, but that's what happens. You're, you're, and they're competing against multiple priorities. Uh, I think there needs to be alignment on these things from top down to bottom up. Um, you know, many, many of these changes and what are the priorities of importance? Do you fix the fundamentals um, as well as chase what's new? And, and how do you balance against those two? Because I think everyone 
would admit that they're both important. I don't think that people are turning a blind eye or not aware of these things. It's, it's what's the priority and what is going to bring us more customers, create a better customer experience in many minds and kind of differentiate us from the competition. Absolutely. We're almost out of time, but before I let you go, I'm going to ask you for one unpopular opinion. It's a question I love to ask. Something that you believe that you think most people would not believe or might disagree with you on. Going back to my analytic and insights roots, um, yeah, this, this one's going to get me in trouble. <laughs> I, I don't believe that customer segmentation is the be-all, end-all answer to everything. And I think a lot of companies do things do things like segmentation or very advanced customer targeting and such before they have the fundamentals in place. Like what? Um, fundamentals of knowing who your customers, some basic purchasing, being able to reach and stop lapsing, uh, <clears throat> being able to consistently communicate the message and fix the experience and have a grounding of knowledge within the organization of who is she, how many times is she purchasing, what is she buying, what is the, the natural cross shop. You know, are people, there's always hypothesis, everyone who buys shoes should buy bags. It's usually true, but it's not always. <laughs> you know, what are those those kind of really basic customer behaviors mm-hmm. Uh, that people need to be grounded in before you're doing some sexier, from an analytic standpoint. Yeah. <laughs> so. A sexy analytics. <laughs> a sexy analytics. Hey, it's getting sexier. <laughs> I believe you. But um, I think people jump the gun. Similar to what you were saying, we were talking about before with technology, where people go for the shiny new thing before they have the fundamentals. I do see a little bit of that. Um, I've seen that at, in several places as well. And there's a time and a place um, for those elements of, of customer personification, personifications and personas and segments. Um, but what their role is uh, varies across. Got it. Wait, De- <laughs> Denise Anza, so lovely to have you on the Glossy Podcast. And thanks to you for listening. We're on iTunes, so please do leave us a review. We're also on Stitcher if you have an Android. And we'll be back next week with more.